don't come to listen to one person. Now, I know you good people are disappointed that you can't hear me. I'm just messing with y'all. People are happy. You guys are going to get a couple weeks off from me, so there you go. Uh, this week, John has come to bless us with the word. Um, John's working pretty hard on this, so I'm pretty proud, pretty happy. And I'm going to pray for John, and then you're going to take it away, big man. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for John. Thank you that he put in the time and effort to study your scriptures, to bless us. God, give us open hearts and open minds, and uh, help us to focus. Uh, ease John's mind, ease his heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Green, it's on. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah, I came to Andrew last week, week before I sent him a text message. It's like First um, Samuel 15. Would you, if you split that into two sermons, where would you do it? And the reason I did that was some of you know that I took off for a few days a couple of weeks ago, and I went on a personal retreat, and I was sitting there reading my Bible. And somehow or other, I found myself in 1 Samuel 15. I don't recall how I got there. I just recall reading it. And by the time I was done reading, it's like, I got to do something with this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it, but I got to do something with it. The following Sunday, um, Heather was giving us a lesson on the attributes of God. And she asked a question. I forget what the question was, but I went, yeah, it's right here, 1 Samuel 15. And a little while later, somebody else asked another question and said, I'm sticking with that, but it just didn't, just didn't sit right. It's like, no, i got to get up and i got to talk about this because it, it was still um, bugging me. So here I am. We're up to 1 Samuel 15. Um, I'm going to let Andrew review everything when he gets back up in the pulpit about what's going on with Samuel. Um, so we'll just start with verse 1. <clears throat> And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. They have. Do not spare them. Kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. It's pretty harsh, but when God tells you to do something, he's got a reason for it. And looking back into there, into the footnotes that most of the Bible is going to have, if you go back and you look in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 and 16, it talks about what Amalek did. How many of y'all remember the battle where Moses held the staff of God in both hands, and every time he raised his hands, Joshua and the army would prevail. When he dropped his hands, they would lose till his brother... Aaron and another fella held his hands up. They were fighting against Amalek. They did not wipe them out entirely, but that's where a lot of this comes from. 
Um, and what God also said at the end of that in verse 16 was a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Well, here we are many years later, and they're going back to war with Amalek. In Deuteronomy also, um, Deuteronomy 19, it says, Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So what did Samuel just tell Saul he was going to go out and do, or he was supposed to do? He's got to go out and he's going to blot out the entire memory, the rest of the race of Amalek. Wipe it out, just like God had promised back then in Deuteronomy. Um, what strikes me there is sometimes we all question whether God's still around, whether he's abandoned us, whether he's turned his back on us, no matter what. You know, something goes wrong, the car breaks down. You know, where are you? Well, as Brian found out today, he wasn't abandoned. God is faithful. He's been faithful to us for years upon years upon years. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. It may take him a while, but he's going to do it. So picking back up. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim. 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Scripture really doesn't tell us a whole lot about what the Kenites did, except they do record that they were kind to the Israelite people. And if you look into the history a little bit more, what you'll find is that um, the Kenites were descendants of Moses' father-in-law. Okay? So there's a family history there. Distant removed, but there's a family history. So they were kind to him, and because of the kindness, um, Saul said, get out of here before we hurt you. Okay? And Saul defeated the Amicalites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amicalites, alive and devoted to the destruction of all the, all the people with the edge of the sword. How far that battle raged was really pretty far. If you look at a modern map to give you an idea of where it is, everybody know where the Sinai Peninsula is? Just to the east of Egypt. And then you know where the Saudi Peninsula is? That's pretty much the territory where that battle raged. Okay? Um, don't know how long it took, but we can imagine probably took a little while for him to do that. But again, the next thing you see here is Saul, he took Agag, the king of the Amicalites, alive 
and devote it to the destruction, all the people with the edge of the sword. What was he supposed to do? Supposed to kill them all. Okay? Doesn't say anything about saving the king, bringing the king back. Because if you bring the king back of a people, you know, or any, you keep any one person alive, you're not wiping out the memory. Alright? But the first thing that hit me there is, man, dude, disobedient. God tells you to do something, you want to do it. I'm standing up here because I feel that I'm supposed to be here. If I didn't do this, I'd wind up being disobedient. Okay? How many times have you sat here or in Sunday family group and felt you needed to share something or say something and did not? Okay? Disobedient. How many times have you told a little white lie? Alright? Disobedient, because when you get right down to it, you're breaking the law of God. The Ten Commandments. Any violation or any breaking of His commandments is simple, simple disobedience. No better than Saul in this instance. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So what we have there is... It's not just Saul now. It's his subjects, his people. Remember last week where he said, don't eat anything? Okay? They obeyed Saul then, but yet they were going to take Saul out when he was going to kill his son. Today, they're siding with Saul and keeping the best of the sheep and the livestock. Do you think they did that on their own? I don't know. They may have. It may have been their idea. I don't know. But the other thing that, that really struck me there, all that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Think now. Isaiah 53. He was despised. He, Jesus, was killed and pierced for our transgressions. He was despised. Okay? When I think about that, he wasn't worthless. Alright? But he was despised by the Israelite people. How many times have you looked at somebody and go, I don't like them. I'm not going to hang out with them. Or they did something... You know, they're worthless, okay? And just turned your back on them for whatever reason. You, you, you can't really do that. You really can't. You gotta, 
look to the cross, look to Jesus, think about what he did for you, what he did for us. Um, you can't really despise him. I mean, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this is a case of the pot and the kettle because guilty, guilty is charged, okay? The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel... Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Okay? Um, Saul set up a monument to himself. Who does that? What kind of an issue do you have when you think so highly of yourself that you set up a monument to yourself? A little bit of pride coming through, perhaps. Okay. Man, look what I just did. I'm so great. I can take a moment and I can just go ahead and set up this reminder of, of everything that I've done. Okay. Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? I read that and I cracked up laughing. Because think about it. What was Saul supposed to do? Basically, wipe out that people and take no spoils. Nothing was to remain. And here he goes, I've come back from following the command, performed the commandment of the Lord. Really, dude? Okay? How can you tell me that? How can you stand there right to my face and say, you've obeyed the Lord God. You've done what you were told. If you did, I wouldn't be hearing this stuff going on. Alright? Those of you with children, you, your kids ever said, when you've asked what happened, who dropped the water, or who left the water running, not me, okay? Dorian, you ever blamed your brother or sister for something? How about you, Johan? Yeah. Yeah. Me too, when I was growing up, yeah. I mean, hey, mom, dad, this is what they did. Okay? Blame shifting. It's coming up here. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amicalites for the people, the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Man, 
Um, again, blame shift. Anybody in here ever done that? It's not my fault. I didn't do that. But even worse than that, what did the Lord say to Samuel the night before? Saul has turned back from following me. What did Saul just say to Samuel? Why did they hold the livestock back? Who are they going to sacrifice it to? Looking at Samuel, he says, we did this so we could sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. Whose God are you here to worship tonight? My God? Andrew's God? I'm here to worship our God. Okay? He's not your God. He's not my God. He's our God. And here's the man he had anointed king saying, we're going to sacrifice them. They, we sacrifice them. And he's saying this to the high priest and the prophets. We're going to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Words mean a little bit. That one word makes a whole difference. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and, he, and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amicalites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gigal. And Samuel, and I'm going to stop there for a minute. Because again, it's still continual blame shifting. Saul has basically again acknowledged that he didn't go out and do battle for the Lord, his God, for the God of Israel. Well, maybe because, you know, Samuel's a prophet of Israel, but Saul's drawn himself and separated himself off because he's going, your God, not mine, your God. No, again, he's our God. The moment he becomes your God, then there's a big problem. When you look at somebody and say, it's your God, not mine, you've got a problem and you need to get it right. Um, the gentleman that I met when I was on my retreat uh, kind of fits in here too, and he doesn't know it. But the, the part that happened to him, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Men, 
Are you not the heads of your household? Okay? Is that not the role that's been given to you by the Lord God? It happened to him. His wife is a 20 plus year cancer survivor and she was down under the weather in bed after a round of chemo and his kids came in from school and they went, Dad, where's Mom? We've got a question about Scripture and we need her to answer it and we need some prayer. Okay? And just went straight on to Mom. Didn't stop at Dad. And he goes, that's when it hit me. He was not living his life in a godly manner. He was not leading that family as he should have been. So he did what he needed to do to correct the situation. And man, has he been blessed beyond belief. Okay? So God, again, being faithful. Fulfilling promises. Disobedience, again, you know, it, it, you, can't, you really can't be disobedient because a sin is a sin is a sin. Um, somebody, every now and then you hear, no sin is greater than another. They're all equal in the, in the sight of God. Jesus didn't suffer more because of what Cain did. Okay? He didn't suffer more for what Lot's wife did, turning around. Alright? He suffered for all of the sins equally that we may have everlasting eternal life and spend it with Him, the Father and the Spirit, joy ever after. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the, as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. That was it. Saul had the chance up until then you know, we've seen his disobedience before. We've seen him going after things he shouldn't have gone after. And he thinks, what God really wants me to do is he wants me to make sacrifice. He wants me to make burnt offerings to him. All right? That's not it. We don't do burnt offerings anymore. The Israelite people haven't done burnt offerings in years. Okay? What he wants from us is simply to obey. What did Jesus tell us to do? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And look at what he says sums up the law and the prophets. Just love. Following his commandments. What's the greatest commandment? To love one another? Or to, no, excuse me. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your might, and all your soul. 
That didn't change from the time of Moses till the time Jesus repeated it. And the second is like the first, to love your neighbor in the same way as you love yourself. Um, those things don't change. That's still all God wants from us. He doesn't want us, you know, doing it. And especially the um, idolatry. Wow. Football's coming up. Preseason football. It's, it's here before you know it. I mean, this is June, but they're talking about it already. And, of course, you've got the basketball playoffs. Okay? What's more important to you? Spending time with the Lord or spending time watching sports? Spending time on the computer? Spending time at the beach? What's more important? Okay? Right after that little lecture, Saul looks at Samuel and says, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. What Samuel or what Saul's looking for here is remember he's a king. He commanded a rather large army at the beginning. If you recall what he numbered numbered them, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. Okay? So that's a lot of men. If Samuel doesn't return with Saul and stand next to him in front of that army, what do you think happens? He loses the respect of the army, and the army goes, Oh my, we've lost the support of the Lord God. We're going to be a hurting unit. So it wasn't, you know, really for himself that Saul was repenting or anything else. It's like, no, no, I got to make sure that I still have this army to command. But why did he listen to the people? He feared them. So does he really have anything to gain? I don't know. So then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. The guy still didn't get it. So that I may bow before the Lord your God. Not the Lord our God. 
Wasn't it Moses who said, Hear, O people of Israel, the Lord our God is one? And Saul didn't get it. He's not bowing before somebody else's God. He's bowing before his God, the God of his people, of all their God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Um, what's a major component of the gospel? Repent. Truly repent. Do you think Saul was truly repentant here? I mean, I can't judge Saul. I can't judge his motives, his sincerity. But I think it's going to be interesting in the end to see whether Saul is in heaven or not, to see what happened to him. It, it, it's, he's one of those characters in Scripture that it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happened to him. I, I really think so, because, I mean, if you just look at what's written here, how truly repentant was he? Or could he have been? You know? And then Samuel said, Bring to me Agag, the king of the Amicalites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Cheerfully. Yeah, I'm still alive. My people are gone. They're dead. They're wiped out. I've still got the best livestock. They're still here too because they haven't been sacrificed yet. I'm still alive. Yay. Agag surely said, surely the bitterness of death is past. I mean, he's held prisoner, expecting to be executed, but now he's standing before the prophet and the high priest of Israel. Surely, the concern for death has got to be passed. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord and Gilgal. I mean... What... I don't want to think about what I could possibly hold back any longer from, from the Lord God that would deserve that. I mean, I try every day to make sure that, that God knows that I've got nothing to give you, God bless you. I've got nothing to give you because everything I have, you gave to me. It belongs to you. Absolutely everything. All my possessions belong to you. The screw-ups I made in my life, yeah, those are kind of my own. And as, I, as they get yanked out of me, because um, sanctification is a process, becoming holy is a process, coming to know the Lord God is a process, and it can be extremely painful. <laughs> So, you know, if it's painful for me, in the end, it's, it's all accounted to joy. You know, the joy of the Lord is going to be my strength. And I try to live that. I try to remember that. And I would urge all of you to do the same thing. And, and don't hold anything back from Him, especially anything 
that would be as valuable as the king of an, that, that you could say is a king. All right? This is what he does. He's going to destroy it. I really don't want anything in my life to come down to destruction like that. <coughs> then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeath of Saul, and Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Um, they parted their ways, and you can't really say that they lived happily ever after. Because we all know how things end up later on. But I mean, when you lose a relationship such as that, where you grieve that deeply, um, I, I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't want to be there. I don't want, I don't think any of us want to be there. If we lose a relationship like that or have suffer a loss as great as what Samuel felt he, he lost had happened here, we want it to be not because we had a falling out with somebody like they did. I mean, I'd rather have God um, have somebody very close to me drop dead. Because as I've told people in the past, when somebody dies, it's final. You know that that's it. But when you have a disagreement with someone as strongly as that, that you grieve them and you don't see them again until the day of their death, that's really bad. Because how much time have you lost? I mean, it'd be great if, if that did happen and they were to die the next day. You know, not that I'm wishing death on anybody or saying that's a good thing, but just try and imagine that sense of grief. If you've lost somebody close to you to death, then you know the grief process that you suffered there. But imagine... Um, Suffering that with somebody living. Most of you know Sean and what it was like for me and him the first time around. Okay? That was wicked hard. Wicked, wicked hard. Um, now it's like a whole lot better. Still fighting. Still are. <laughs> but we fight joyfully. Okay? Um, and correct each other. But I mean, just having that type of relationship with someone, to see it broken, don't do it. Um, God's our healer. God's our boss, when you get right down to it. He asks so little of us, so little of us, and it's times you really don't want to be obedient to him, but you know, in the end, that's what it's all about, just being obedient to him and giving him all the homage. Okay? Let's pray. Father God,
I just want to say thank you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here this evening. Thank you um, for just getting me through this. It was tough, we'll be honest. Andrew knows how tough this was for me. First time I met him, I said, yeah, I'll do what I can, but don't count on me for doing all that other stuff that disciple and everything else. Because that's that's not me, that's not my comfort zone. But thank you, God, for, for getting me through this. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. As we go into worship this evening, Father, let us lift our voices joyfully and come join us. I know you here, but just just come join us. And let your spirit flow among us um, as we sing your praises. I ask this Father. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, proclaiming the kingdom of God for the sake of the city. For more resources, visit cell53.com.